Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org. Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Jean Till, and on today's show, we're visiting with John, Thomas Jacoby, editor at Ignatius Press, including the work of Madeline Delbrell, The Dazzling Light of God, the spirituality of now venerable Madeline Dubrell, and her social justice work. I'm Bishop? looking forward to a fascinating interview, but I must say on a more mundane level, uh, the second Saturday of September approaches. What's the, going on on the second on Saturday? A little in Ames, you know, <laughs> the, the State Highway Patrol has uh, surely lined the, the major arteries leading into Ames in that way. But, oh, uh, there's... Yet another Cyhawk showdown. And I learned now uh, from our last show that unlike your predecessor, Kelly Mesher Collins, uh, that your allegiances fall on that uh, other side of the fence here. So well, you know, this is my purification here, Gene. That's right. Well, you know, when they play each other, I, must, I support both teams when they play other teams. Yeah. But when they play each other, I always root for the underdog. Because <laughs> I well, always like many of us would say, and, and Cyclone fans have uh, long adopted that with the mindset of you know that we're things will the wheels will fall off the wagon. So, uh, <laughs> although to have privilege of being with Jamie Pollard, athletic director, on Wednesday, thanks to the graciousness of Jonathan Swanson and his team, uh, to hear him is to be roused mm-hmm. and to to think again. I uh, hope uh, we'll emerge victorious on that. So again, we know God doesn't really care care that we do this in a way that uh, befits our dignity as uh, citizens of the state and citizens of the kingdom as well. So we'll see where that prevails. I did not get to the Catholic Beer Club last night. I think they were what? talking about loftier intellectual matters. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, it's wondering how the barley soda can uh, uh, unleash, uh, give certain new perspectives on things as well. So, uh, But today... Uh, Happy birthday to Mary, the 8th of September, yeah. Mary's birthday. So when we do the math, you know, we think about nine months after the uh, Immaculate Conception, uh, obviously uh, clinically, maybe a few weeks or days uh, apart from that. So we celebrate our mother, uh, always with us, always enfolding us, but all mothers, and certainly the way in which they bring that forward. Our friends, uh, Father Peter John Cameron and Alatea, uh, we're really always offering us uh, food for fair. I get no commission from Alatea in any way, <laughs> but it's uh, one that many of us consult. Uh, mm-hmm. Certain literary uh, passages which give us a, a take on motherhood, perhaps as particularly we've begun the school year, mother's aching arms, or maybe glad relief that their yeah. children are back uh, <laughs> post-pandemic uh, in any ways. Uh, Louisa May Alcott and Joe's Boys, mothers can forgive anything Tell me all and be sure that I will never let you go. The, the whole world should turn from you. And so wanting to keep the open hearts and open communication that flows. Uh, and then a surprising st- uh, source, J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved us is gone, will give us some protection forever. Mm. So we see seeds of grace and spirit in different sources. There is no division or subtraction in the hard arithmetic of a good mother. There are only addition and multiplication. Best Streeter Aldrich, a lantern in her hand, and even William Makepeace Thackeray in Vanity Fair. Mother is the name for God in the lips and hearts of little children. Mm-hmm. So uh, bouquets for mothers and grandmothers out there. Uh, for you, Jean, yes. as uh, school years unfolded, and certainly a few grandchildren present as we often celebrate uh, Wednesday Mass mm-hmm. together, praying. Uh, uh, that's something we have to kind of now let go of as the summer yields to the school year. But uh, yeah, I can I can uh, look forward to when they have days off because then they'll they'll be back with grandma, 
and they'll come to Mass again and pray the rosary and hopefully lecture and proclaim the Alleluia. They were so <laughs> excited to do that and yeah. and particularly honored to work with you, Bishop. Uh, Drew was thrilled when he got to hold your staff. Well, hopefully I'm not too intimidating there, but uh, you know, previews have come. So there's no uh, resistance. You're not uh, having to tie them in in the car to bring them to Mass. It's a, it's a glad <laughs> job. When I said to them, well, Gra- you could stay at Grandma's house all day, every day, and Drew just looked at me and was like, would that mean we'd have to go to church every day? <laughs> <laughs> okay. A little, I'm like, do- well. <laughs> a little dose of realism there. But when he's in, he's all in. And he, is. He, you know, he has that sense of wonder of the Mass mm-hmm. and to be able to draw close as well. Yeah. Great privilege. So, yeah. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we'll be visiting with Thomas Jacoby, the editor at Ignatius Press, including the work of Madeline Dobrell, The Dazzling Light of God, The Spirituality of Now, Venerable Madeline Dobrell, and her social justice work. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. And on today's show, we're visiting with Thomas Jacoby, editor at Ignatius Press, including the work of Madeline Delbrell and um, her book, The Dazzling Light of God. So glad to have you, Mr. Jacoby, on our, our show today, our first encounter here via the airwaves, and uh, appreciate this, all occasioned by this uh, most recent uh, book that the Ignatius Press has released. But just a little bit on making it personal, uh, fascinated how, you know, your own uh, maybe apostolate of Catholic publishing and how that came to be and your association with Ignatius, uh, what led to this? Well, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I've actually I've asked myself the same question. <laughs> Maybe the Holy Spirit was in it. Maybe not. <laughs> I, was just, I was actually just talking to my wife about this last night. So I, uh, I, when I was a, at some point, when I was a little kid, I, my uncle was a journalist. And for some reason, I, I was drawn to journalism. And then I forgot about that for about a decade. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to the end of high school, I realized that uh, – I was I was drawn for some reason to, to editing, to publishing, and I didn't know why. I think it's because of, like, I could just I was good at grammar, and that was all that I saw that I was good at. So, but then uh, as you I were always college, cringing at other people's mistakes, and <laughs> <laughs> there, 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 and, yeah, useless in every other regard, <laughs> being disgusted. So then I got to um, when I got to college, though I got involved in uh, I got involved in the uh, kind of literary world there, and I became the editor of our just by chance actually because I had a friend who just desperately needed a replacement editor I became the editor of the, uh, the undergraduate literary journal. And I just, I just, there was something about the publishing uh, world that just drew me in. And actually when I was in high school, I had, I had said on a, when they asked me what I wanted to do, I said, I wanted to be an editor, you know, so kind of the prophecy was sort of fulfilled. Not the, not the usual uh, answer one would get from an 18 year old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's not the most lucrative profession in the world. I, so then I got, uh, then right out of college, um, thanks to my grandmother, actually, of all people, she actually, I wound up getting a job. A friend of my grandmother's was worked at a Tulane Law School, and um, I got a job working for their law reviews as a as as an editor. And then, uh, and then, and then, as the years went on, I was I'll just of, inject uh, there for our listeners. You know, we're conscious of Bishop Zinkula of Davenport now mm-hmm. going to be uh, raised to the Archbishop of Dubuque here in October. But uh, in his past, uh, a former editor of the Iowa Law Review. So a oh. uh, kindred spirit okay. for you there. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, I, uh, as, well, as I was working there at the Law Reviews, I, was, I loved the publishing work. I was surprised to be working on it and actually making money on it. And then well, not much, but some, and uh, <laughs> being a living. And then I, uh, I, I kind of had a reversion. I had a big reversion to the, to the faith, the Catholic Church. I was about 21, 
22 years old. And uh, I started reading books by this company called Ignatius Press. And there was something about these books, even just the way they were printed, like all the big white space on it, the natural paper, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like kind of off-white rather than just solid white. Mm-hmm. The books even smelled good. And, uh, the font they used, everything about it, plus especially the... Father Fessio knew what he was doing there, right? I mean, He yeah. did. <laughs> the trap. And, uh, you know, I was reading Ratzinger, and I, was, I, was, I started reading... Um, uh, I've, I've recommended a book, books by Balthazar and by, um, by a lot of other people as well. And I, something just drew me in. And, uh, no like, lightweight stuff. No lightweight. Yeah. lightweight stuff. Lightweight <laughs> stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I, I wound up like, oh, it'd be great to work for Ignatius Press. And I Googled it and I saw no possibilities. But then years later, I happened to be living in Rome. I was trying to figure out my vocation and I uh, was studying theology in Rome. And I happened to meet, uh, one of the directors of Ignatius Press. And it just so happened they needed somebody to, to work as a full-time production editor, which is exactly what I was, turned out they needed somebody with exactly my qualifications, the things that I happened mm-hmm. to have done, the strange mm-hmm. things I happened to have done at the college. So. Ah, the the history. Spirit. It's really been a dream come true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, marvelous. So, uh, uh, the second of your happy marriages then, right? <laughs> uh, so very good. Yeah. So, <laughs> marvelous. So uh, this figure, this kind of enigmatic figure, Madeleine Delbrel, if I'm saying her name, Del- Delbrel, or how we would say that. But uh, <laughs> nice. a, a French woman, uh, uh, I've maybe been exposed to a couple of meditations in the Magnificat publication that I drew from her. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, uh, Ignatius Press is, is really trying to shine a light on her, no pun intended here, with the dazzling light of God. Uh, how, how did this work come to be? And uh, obviously a lot of editorial selections from a woman who uh, wrote a vast uh, mm-hmm. amount in her lifetime. Well, Ignatius Press, we're very fortunate to have, we have a very good relationship with uh, with. Uh, a company called Nouvelle Cité in, in, in France, which is basically the, the French version of New City Press, if you've heard of that. It's mm-hmm. run by the, um, the Focolaris. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, they are huge fans of Madeleine Delbrel. And um, almost nobody at Ignatius Press had read Madeleine Delbrel, but they offered us this book through a, through a friend of mine. And I had read Madeleine Delbrel years ago uh, uh, on the topic of uh, just kind of lay, just lay spirituality, you know, like living the gospel radically kind of in the world, in the city, wherever you, wherever you find yourself, you know, in the ordinary world. And uh, what I read of her, which was very little, because, which is, which is actually appropriate for her, because she writes in these short little clip sentences that just pack such a massive punch. Mm-hmm. Um, the little I read of her just it stuck with me over the years. So when I saw that the possibility of of publishing uh, this selection of texts that actually Nouvelle Cité uh, had prepared is actually her. There's this association called the Association of Madeleine Delbrel in France that that prepared this, but they did it with Nouvelle Cité. They offered it to us, and I immediately jumped at it, and I, I, I immediately showed it to Father Festio. You have to read this. He actually did, and uh, he was he was floored. Um, so we yeah, that was the rest of history. Yeah, I mean, and uh, she died in 1964, but really a, a woman of the 20th century. Uh, the strains of atheism that uh, she herself, you know, if we think about St. Therese saying she ate the bread of atheists in terms of her subjective yes. experiences, but uh, Madeline really went through that phase, even though a baptized Catholic, where she uh, found herself among atheists and found very home and that the, the death of God was uh, was real for her, but uh, the, the Holy Spirit was relentless and kind of bringing her back. Yes, 
so she, yeah, she, so Madeline Dabal, she, she was born in 1904, which would make her a, a teenager around the time of, uh, uh, at the start of World War One, and France, not a place you want to be uh, during World War One, um, but she. She grew up sort of nominally Catholic, uh, as a lot of French uh, French kids do, <laughs> and then uh, fell away from her um, fell away from her faith because her dad actually fell away from his faith. Her dad was sort of interested in politics, leftist politics, and uh, was a literary man. Um, and he was very very bright, and he taught Madeleine a great deal. He educated her. Um, he gave her a great kind of literary uh, and philosophical education. But uh, did not give her a, a Catholic education, did not teach her uh, her faith at all. And so she fell away. Um, and by the time she was a teenager, this would have been during the time of World War I, um, or a little bit. Yeah, this would have been kind of toward the end of World War I. She uh, totally lost her faith, became a kind of militant atheist, and wrote a poem actually all about the death of God. That's uh, it's actually very interesting because her point is that. You know, all you people, you, you know, you, you say God is dead, but you don't actually believe it. You don't, you don't live it out. It's like you realize what it actually means. We have to live this to its end. And then, so she lived like that for many years, but was searching for meaning and uh, knew that there had to be something more. And uh, and she wound up having this um, God just sort of beat her over the head with his love, but by having her encounter these beautiful Christians. Um, who really lived the faith, and she saw something in them that she could not uh, reject. She saw something in them that she wanted very badly, and uh, that she knew was going to be the meaning of her whole life. Mm-hmm. And um, then when she was in 19, about 1933, she decided to give her entire life to, to God as a consecrated laywoman, and she was going to go do mission. She decided, to, I'm going to do missionary work in France, in the world, not as a, not as a religious sister, but as a, as a consecrated laywoman. And uh, that's what she did until her death in 1964. Yeah, thank you for that kind of uh, thumbnail sketch of her. So that critique of atheists, as if we will, kind of ironically being in bad faith, not really truly living out their atheism, but then also the challenge, the the allure of of Catholic Christians truly living it, uh, linking both their their spirituality with their their concern and passion for social justice and service of a neighbor. Uh, Trained as a nurse and as a social worker, and then... uh, you know, migrating not too far to Ivry and the Ile de France and uh, the whole environ of Paris and all that was part of that. Uh, and so there she was, and among communists, with whom she lived a kind of mm-hmm. holy tension uh, at the time, as I came to know through the book. Uh, just to take one step back, you know, in her complete works, there's, there must be uh, just a, a, a whole artery of things. How then the editorial selection, you in collaboration with others, if that was part of your discretion? Because this is a fairly short book. I mean, mm-hmm. people is, should not be daunted by book. it. I mean, that's one of the attractive features, mm-hmm. to be quite honest. Exactly. <laughs> it is. And uh, we actually made it uh, not only short, but like fit just small. Like its trim size is very small. We did that on purpose. We just we love tiny books, Ignatius Press. And, uh, but so Madeline Belbrell, she wrote really her whole life. Um, she started writing poetry as a teenager, was a prize-winning poet. She actually won a national prize for poetry when she was 17. And continued to write um, all through her, her kind of tumultuous early 20s, through, uh, through her conversion to Catholicism or reversion, and then through her whole life as a, as a, as a laywoman living in this, as a missionary in this communist town of Ibre. Um, she 
she wrote her so she had a massive output. She wrote her whole life, and it's kind of scattered because a lot of it was done as journal entries, um, or letters, or um, or just talks that were sometimes sort of repetitive, but massive output. Um, and we actually had we were very fortunate. Nouvelle Cité uh, and uh, the Association of Mental and Delbrel, they did they did this selection. Um, they did a selection for us. We had a little bit of editorial discretion in taking out certain lines or um, to, to make it more compressed. But what the beauty, what they were after with this text is, they wanted they wanted to capture they wanted to capture the kind of the key points of Madeline's mission, um, and I think which are one. Joy, uh, the, the, the importance of a, a really authentic joy in the world, um, and not like a, not a naive sort of joy, but a joy that looks at all the darkness and sees the little candle in the corner of the room and sees that little candle, something that is illuminating all this darkness. So this a profound joy. Also, the idea that we ourselves need to be evangelized. You know, we are not, we are not if we're going to be evangelizing. We ourselves need to be constantly evangelized. Mm-hmm. And, she, and another key point of hers is the gospel is something we easily forget is news at all, much less good news. And so just rediscovering the gospel, the goodness, the, the fact that the gospel is something always new, it's something always fresh. Uh, Chesterton was a big believer in that, too. The gospel is something that's fresh and new and exciting and an adventure rather than the sort of dull, old, you know, uh, empty carcass structure. That, that can be uh, left after the historical critical method has done its work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Read that, then. Yeah. yeah. No, the, that freshness. the vibrancy of the Word of God and, yeah, how that just rouses us and urges us. I mean, uh, you speak of the kind of poetic uh, joy bursting forth, you know, just a short example. Uh, make us live our life, not as a game of chess in which everything's calculated, not as a game of yes. sport in which everything's difficult, not as a problem that racks our brain, not as a debt to pay, but as a party, as a ball, as a dance in the arms of your grace and the universal music of love. Lord, come and invite us. I mean, just that ebullient joy mm-hmm. is a reading there. Uh, and yet, yes. you know, there's a gravity, too, into a thing she says. She's, like you said, she's not uh, glossing over the, the real pain and suffering of the world. So she's uh, uh, the whole Paschal mystery is evident. It's a kind of book that... You know, someone could tuck in a purse, a backpack, you know, whether one is in, in, before the Blessed Sacrament. And just one page would be sufficient, mm-hmm. I think, to Because they're all very short and, yeah, and, scripts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And that's actually, um, that's what Madeline Delbrell's writings, uh, they, they really lend themselves to this kind of reading, these like short selections. Like often, like you said, they just, they just span like some of these selections just span less than a page, like a half a page, sometimes even a quarter of a page. Uh, the longest one in there maybe spans three pages. And that's actually totally appropriate for her because she she insists over and over again that um, your your time of prayer, I mean, everybody, lay people especially, but I mean, even but clerics, anybody, people are so busy. Um, we often neglect prayer because we think, oh, well, if I'm going to pray, I have to set aside, you know, I got to set aside like at least an hour or two hours. But no, she says your prayer, you know, your, your little, your moment of encounter with the Lord, your moment of silence, she calls it your desert. It can be five, 
five bus stops at the end of the day. You know, mm. it can be it can be your car ride home. It, it, it's not the it's not the quantity that matters, but the quality of that time. It's like if that time is truly given to the Lord, um, then that little candle. She uses the image of the little candle. It can illuminate the whole darkness. She says, you know, like one like ten minutes of real prayer is is far more powerful than, than three hours of kind of a sort of just sort of wandering around in your head, you know. And that's so that's why this these selections, these short selections are so they're so fitting for her because you know they're they're kind of for busy people who you can just pick up this book, you know, just for five minutes, take a look at it, and it can and it leads you immediately into prayer. You know, it leads you into this this encounter with uh, it's actually, I would say, a fresh kind of exciting encounter with, Amen. Uh, with the gospel. With Mr. Jacoby, we'll have to go to a break here, and uh, we'll come back, and Jean will share with us one of her favorite passages. To learn more about The Dazzling Light of God by Madeline Dubrow, go online to ignatius.com. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Welcome back to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. And I don't always afford Gene the chance, but you, you talk about the kind of five uh, bus stops or things, but the, the sense of being on the way, uh, one of the passages that spoke to you, Gene. Well, there was a segment on we have to live love. We have to live love. And so it says, consider this. Let us take a very small piece of our life and set free the charity of Christ in it to see everything it can do, everything it wants to do, and to let it do. So you change trains. You wait in the waiting room in the middle of the night. The charity of the Lord is in you in the midst of this waiting room. What is it going to do? What will that very polite lady, this very proper gentleman, say when you share coffee from your thermos with the neighbor to your right, your bread and your cheese with the neighbor to your left, if you wrap that child in your coat? But what will Christ say if you do not do it? The Holy Church expects saints, and saints are those who love. Wow. Just the little things. Amen. You know, if we can think again of Therese, but uh, this is a woman who lived in a very unique way, not within the confines of a cloistered convent, but uh, in the, amidst the people and uh, whom she served and lived and prayed and uh, perhaps uh, did not share faith, but uh, looked at them with a kindly uh, eye and great respect. Uh, you know, she's not uh, like Simone Weil, who remained on the side of atheism, even though she had a great uh, and identified in that way. Uh, she crossed that threshold and uh, never looked back in a, in a very vibrant way. Not Dorothy Day you know, with a Catholic worker, but uh, her own unique niche in, in a way. And just to, for me, you know, I won't read it, but the, the, the bicycle spirituality is one of the brief two-page uh, excerpts. And uh, you know, thinking in this pilgrimage that the bicycle can't stay upright without moving, leaning against the wall, uh, the, the, the way in which the world, our life, will tilt and give way as we enter the race at well. Uh, Mr. Jacoby, uh, you know, one of the themes that also uh, emerges is that of obedience. And so she, she lived a different form of consecrated life. Uh, how was obedience uh, something that englobed all that she was about? Yeah, so she, uh, she firmly believed, especially in, in an essay of hers called We, the Ordinary People of the Streets, which is excerpted here in the book, um, that all of us... Uh, religious and lay alike, including just, you know, married lay people like myself, we're all called, you know, to the evangelical councils of uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And whereas, you know, poverty, I would say most people can kind of, married people kind of feel, you know, financial strain, so you feel that in a way. 
chastity is something you definitely have to live out uh, and, you know, the married state as well. Um, but what about obedience? You know, it's hard to know, like, what does that mean? He's like, obedience to the, to the church. But for her, obedience is actually, um, it's obedience to, it's obedience to reality. It's like the little annoyances that, that, that actually God, she says, throws our way. She, she gives the image of, of the key that gets stuck in the lock. Or she's almost taking the bus, so the bus window that won't stop rattling. She's like, are we going to... Are we going to say yes, or are we going to say no to this bit of reality? And especially if, we, if, there's, if there's nothing we can do to fix it, often we just get frustrated and we get angry. You know, or we, uh, but if we can say yes to it, we can, we can look at the frustration, and we take it with it. We have a sense of humor about it. We can say yes to it. We can say yes to reality, to God's creation. And that's obedience. You know? It's like taking life with a sense of humor, even the little annoyances and disappointments. And uh, I love that. I love that because... Um, often obedience is framed as uh, something, it's just purely an act of the will. You, know, you just have to kind of do what somebody else says. But actually, I mean, it's doing what God says, and it's doing it with, it's doing what God is doing, actually. It's saying yes to the world that he's made and saying yes to the life that he's giving us. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's the key to happiness, she says. Uh, amen. Amen. The, the creation is groaning in a way, uh, and not just with the, the material world, but with each other. Our Father who art in heaven, neither of us is utterly right, neither of us is utterly wrong. Forgive us both, console us both, be peace for us both. So whether married or consecrated or promised celibates, uh, words of wisdom for all of us. We highly commend this book and thank you for your part in bringing it to bear and all you're doing to, to spread the word, Mr. Jacoby. Oh, such an honor. Thank you for having me. Well, this has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thanks to our guest and all of our listeners in Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, or wherever you may be listening to Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.